Unlocking the Cage is produced by The Manager Special. This show is recorded live on Twitch Sunday nights at 5 Pacific on at Managers Comedy. Check out our other show, Virtual Improv, Fridays at 7 Pacific. Or check out our YouTube for recordings of this show, our other shows, as well as animation, short films, and sketch comedy. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Whether he's removing his face or on a criminal plane Or a historical chase, we love Nicholas Cage Star of screen and stage, gonna watch him all day While he's a screaming with rage, cause we're unlocking the cage Hi, what's up everybody? Welcome to Unlocking the Cage. Um, I am your host, Meg, and this is my co-host, Chris. Hello, how is everyone doing? Hello. We're screaming into the void. But I'm sure everyone's doing great. Um, the goal of this show is to watch and rank every single one of Nicolas Cage's 104 movies. Um, today's movie, we are talking about Wild at Heart from 1990. It's a David Lynch movie. It's real fun. Going to say um, right now, did not like this film, but we'll get into I- it. <laughs> I know. I think I think we're going to we're going to really cover the gamut here from liked it to middle ground to uh, did not like it um so yeah just a warning uh if you have not seen this movie which is literally from 30 years ago we are going to spoil this movie um i don't and know there's why no you... way to see it unless you own a dvd or you'll illegal apparently never mind i won't i won't say it now i guess we'll talk about it but that's like insane yeah you cannot stream this movie uh you cannot pay money to stream this movie the only way to get this is to buy the dvd um a few other things before we introduce our guest. Um, we uh, Our theme song is by Will Gianetta, who is our guest next week talking about National Treasure. Um, and our current Nicolas Cage movie count is 12 for me and 27 for Chris. I've been That's keeping right. track, Chris. Yep. 27. Out of 104 movies. So we have a way to go. <laughs> um, why don't we bring out our guest, Uh he is a good friend of ours. He is screenwriter Brendan Buzard. Hey, there he is, Mr. Buzard. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi, How's Brendan. Oh, hello there. How, how are y'all doing today? Good. Um, a fun thing that just happened to me is when I went to the bathroom before the show, I killed about 20 ants. Uh, well done. <laughs> Chris's horrified face. 20? Oh, man, they're back. No, they're that's back. good. That's that's satisfying. Yeah, I, I we have this like spray stuff, this like herbal spray stuff that just sort of stops them in their tracks. It's herb based, but instant death for an ant. Really? Instant. Like they stop like freezing in time. Like their nervous system just shuts down when this stuff hits their body. It's crazy. I I need to guess some of that. That sounds good. We we have a few ants like in the kitchen area. It's not that bad, but I, I do recommend this because it's non toxic for sure. It's like anise based um, or something like that. It's not like you know. Yeah, this uh, uh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> Spray yeah. it on your on your food. <laughs> Make some rice and put some on there. Or, uh, you won't know. have to worry about ants climbing on your food. <laughs> um, Brendan, what's going on with you? Uh, let's see what's new with me. I bought a Nintendo Switch. No, you didn't. You I found did. one, you bastard. I did. I found one and I bought one, so I have a Nintendo Switch, which is. Did fun. you get it? I did. Yeah. Um. Uh, I. Uh, Spent about an hour and a half earlier today playing Breath of the Wild. It's oh wonderful. Oh my god! Meg's like I, I thought... show is canceled. Time to go over Brendan's house. 
<laughs> I talked. I, I talked to Brendan fairly frequently, and this is the first time hearing of that. So, well, I, I, I felt I felt like I could I could uh, surprise y'all with this news since I figured that you would ask me what's going How on. How did you make? You keep it? saying save it for the show. He was saving. That's it true. For I the do. Show. I do say every time we try to talk about something interesting, I'm like save it for the stream. Wait, how did you find it though? Uh, Target.com. Nice. Oh. Awesome. She's like, I will go on Target.com. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't need a switch. I, 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 uh, we got plenty of PlayStation. Little, you a little bit need a switch. Okay. <laughs> uh, Chris, what's new with you? Oh, well, I don't know. Let me think. Well, we went on a lovely vacation. Uh, That's true, we did. And uh, things are, you know, it was a, a nice, we went to Morro Bay, which has the only seafood that I have found in California. Like the only good actual <laughs> seafood in all of California. Like this isn't like, you know, you get like a tuna steak or like a, you know, this is like they have fried seafood that you would find that's in fried like a, shit. Yeah, like like Maryland or uh, or uh, you know Rhode Island, Boston area. So that was very lovely. And now Chris we're back. A, a, what? Sorry, go ahead. What did I say? Now we're back. What were we gonna say? I was gonna say your theory is that uh, seafood is linked to bays, and that's why there's none on Los, Los Angeles coast. I think that's like you explained this to me that there was because it's a bay. There's more shellfish. So I'm like, oh, I didn't. I don't think. I think you you came to that conclusion on your own, but I don't disagree. I mean, there the definitely that, was more. I, I I was going to recommend a a town to go to for good seafood in California, uh, and it's a bay. It's Half Moon Bay in the Bay Area. Mm. Like it's it's the best like fried seafood that you will get on the West Coast. I mean, we cracked it. I think because we were like, oh wait, Maryland Bay, Rhode Island Bay, Boston Bay. Maine, there's no bay, but still. <laughs> I mean, San Francisco itself also has pretty good seafood. Chopina is like delicious. So, bay. Bay. Michael, bay. <laughs> bay leaves. <laughs> leaves? Oh, no, now it's turning into run on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, run on on 2MB our, Studios. As a, a, friend, a friend of the show, a show friend. If shows have friends, that's one of our friends. All right. So here's the real question, Brendan. Um, we told you our numbers. How many Nicolas Cage movies have you seen? 33. 33? Oh. Holy shit. 33. Um, that is more than Chris is 27 and certainly more than my 12. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite or like a top? Uh, I, I have a few. I would say my favorite Nicolas Cage movie is probably Moonstruck. Nice. Uh, 1987 Norman Jewison. It's a wonderful movie, and I, I'm looking forward to y'all getting a chance to watch it. It's it's a it's it's magical. We, um, we have a guest for that. We don't have it her scheduled yet, but that'll be our friend Lara, who uh, is a self-avowed Nicolas Cage hater, but says she likes that movie. So it's a great movie. the uh, The other one that comes to mind is Red Rock West, which is a lesser known movie that he did with John Dahl in, I believe, 1993. It's kind of a low down, dirty, you know, small town noir with him, Dennis Hopper, Lara Flynn Boyle. It's so good. Um, and John Dahl is like something of a personal hero of mine. So I have a lot of. And he's the director. He's the director. Yeah. He also did The Last Seduction, uh, Rounders. Uh, a couple other like really really strong uh, neo noirs in the nineties, stuff that I steal from liberally in my own work. 
Nice. I, I look forward to watching that one too. Unclaimed, if any of our viewers uh, are interested in being guests and wanna, well, I guess I guess Brendan, you're the backup for that for sure. Great. Once, when we get your when we get your on for a second time. All right. So our movie, Wild at Heart. Um, usually, I have pages of notes about the movie so I can tell you guys stories. However, uh, Brendan, tell us about your background with this movie so I can we can explain why I don't have uh, that. Uh, I wrote a chapter of my undergraduate thesis on this movie <laughs> um, to sort of explain that uh, there is this figure or this pair of figures in American cinema, the lovers on the lamb, uh, teenagers, um, like, usually Bonnie criminal, and Clyde. like Bonnie and Clyde. Um, but there is a specific subset of movies within that archetype that, uh, are responding to one particular historical event, which is the Starkweather Fugate murders in the late 1950s. Um, in 1957, 1958, a pair of teenagers in Nebraska went on a killing spree across the Great Plains and Upper Midwest. And a number of different movies, I identified eight movies, directly respond to those, either by uh, being sort of adaptations of the story or by having sort of broad echoes of that story. And in a way, Wild at Heart is a film that is not directly about Starkweather Fugate. It's not yeah. about teenagers on a killing spree, but it is a sort of inversion of the uh, Starkweather Fugate mythos. Yeah, because I was expecting, uh, so I knew that that was your thesis topic, and I was expecting them to be a lot more murdery than they actually were uh and they, they 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 weren't really like it wasn't really like a like we're on you know natural born killers or I don't know. Yeah, no. The difference with Wild at Heart is that they're the innocents. Yeah, they're the they're the it, you know they're motivated by these very pure intentions, which is they're all consuming love for one another. Whereas it's all the sort of um, the emblems of uh, hegemonic all American culture, the family, the home, the law that are the things that are. Um, sort of dangerous and after them in this film mm. um our teenage you know lovers are not like dastardly sociopaths in this movie they're victims of a world that can't accept a love so pure mm. and in that way it inverts a lot of the elements of the Starkweather fugate uh story which I, I find really interesting and i think is very much of a piece with david lynch's overall narrative project um Starkweather Fugate, like, you know, it's these teenage killers who murdered 11 people in 1957. I can't overstate how big of a story it was at the time. It mm. gripped national audiences. It was the biggest story of the winter of 1957-1958. And that story became the sort of basis of so many different interpretations um, Badlands, the Terrence Malick movie. There's a great uh, TV miniseries from the early 90s called Murder in the Heartland. There's a drive-in movie from the 60s called The Sadist. Um, there's a terrible direct-to-video movie from the early zeros called Starkweather. There's also the great um, uh, Bruce Springsteen song, uh, Nebraska, which is based off of the Starkweather Fugate murders. So I just want Chris to comment on that. Do you know that song? I thought he was going to say Badlands, but nope. I don't know anything. Badlands, about this. Badlands is also somewhat inspired by it, but Nebraska is the more direct uh, reference. All right, never mind. I know what I need to do. 
<laughs> Should I continue? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't so know what's happening. <laughs> I, I, I can speak a little bit. Away from, just for, for those listening on the podcast, Chris just stepped away and appears to be putting on a uh Oh, he's, he's, going, he's going Bruce. I had to go Bruce for this one. <laughs> Um, so a little background on the actual film and its production. Yes, uh, Blue Velvet came out in 1980, I believe, six. Uh, David Lynch was looking around for his next movie. He had a couple projects that he wanted to develop. None of them quite came to fruition until uh, the new manuscript by Barry Gifford sort of landed on his lap. He immediately optioned it, immediately started working on the screenplay, sent the book to Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage, wanted them for Lula and Sailor and made the film. At around the same time, he was in development on a new television series called Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks <laughs> obviously became a massive phenomenon in the spring of 1990. Um, Wild at Heart was filmed after the first season of Twin Peaks. It stars a lot of the cast of Twin Peaks. And then it went to the Cannes Film Festival where it got a somewhat mixed reception from critics, but it won the Palme d'Or, the top prize to an eruption of booze from the critics. Um, probably the most divided reception of any Palme d'Or winner in the festival's history. Uh, and then uh, it was released and audiences absolutely hated it. Um, they thought it was horrific and way too weird and violent. And where's all the goofy fun, you know, where's the goofy fun FBI agent who likes coffee and pie and donuts? Um, they they missed all the elements of Twin Peaks that make Twin Peaks so endearing for um, audiences. And instead, this is just, it's pure uncut Lynch. It, actually, it's not uncut Lynch. The version of the film that premiered at uh, Cannes was much more graphically violent. What? Uh, the scene where Harry, the scene where Harry Dean Stan's character, the, they don't cut away when he gets his head blown off. Oh, no, um, the one we saw... And- the one we saw, they didn't. They didn't cut away. Oh, oh, Harry, oh no! Harry Dean. I'm thinking of. I'm. Who doesn't know Dafoe. Harry I'm thinking of Willem Dafoe. Oh no! Yeah. No, Mo, uh, the Harry Dean Sand scene was especially graphic in the original cut. Oh Harry Dean Sand's the guy who has the duct tape with the lipstick on when he dies. Ah, uh, uh, Farragut. Yeah, yeah, Johnny Farragut. Johnny Farragut. Yeah. Oh man, poor Johnny Farragut dies in some kind of voodoo ritual. Not cool. Yeah. A voodoo yeah. ritual overseen by Grace Zabriskie, who plays uh, Laura Palmer's mother on uh, Twin Peaks. In this movie, she looks like way younger than she does in Twin Peaks. And then like, you know, like they oldify her, I guess, in between those two things. Yeah. She was younger when she made the first season of Twin Peaks than when she made this by a few months. <laughs> um, let's, so let's listen for, for our uh, audience members that have not seen this movie who may be watching anyway. Let's just like briefly summarize the movie, what happens in it, just so we can all get on the same page. I can, um, I can, t- I can take that one, Meg. Please. Okay. Thank you, Chris. So we got two, two kids they're in love. Uh, their mom, the mom of the girl, she's a rich girl, doesn't want them to be together. So she takes out a hit on the boy. The boy fights off the attacker, but goes to jail for manslaughter for two years. Gets out, uh, tries to be with the girl again. Mom ain't having it. She sends her lover, who uh, just Johnny Farragut guy, to New Orleans to track him down. Also, she enlists San- Santos, this uh, crime guy, to fucking just take out, to take out, uh, you know, uh, 
Sailor Ripley, the, the love interest. Uh, things go awry because Santos can't be controlled. Fucking kills Johnny Farragut and tries to kill Sailor Ripley using a guy named Bobby Peru, played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, but in the end, uh, it, it, they get busted while trying to rob some place and uh, love conquers all. That's all I have to say. Love conquers all. That Love conquers all is basically a good thematic summary of the movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that was pretty good. Uh, the, uh, so I'm curious, uh, so, um, for me and Chris, I, I don't know if we mentioned this yet. This is the first time watching this movie. Uh, I didn't really know anything about it. I assume Chris, you didn't know anything about it either. I knew nothing. Also is Cape Fear a real place? I thought that was a made up place. Is there really a place called Cape Fear? (laughs) There is a Cape Fear. Yeah. The funny thing is, this movie actually came out the same year as Cape Fear, the Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> That's I, crazy. I don't know if Cape Fear is. Is there a real Cape Fear? Uh, I believe there yes. is a real Cape Fear, yeah. North Carolina. Okay. Oh, God. That's a terrifying place to live. <laughs> it's a prominent headland jutting out into the Atlantic Ocean from Bald Head Island. And so the guy from Cape Fear was also in Bad Lieutenant. No. Anyway, sorry. Different movies. Different movies. Um, so so uh Brendan, so I'm curious then having what so when's the last time you saw this movie? The last time I had seen this movie prior to rewatching it yesterday was in two thousand and six. Nice. So it's been a really long time since I watched it. Um y'all got to see my was the DVD okay? Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I was like I was terrified that I would like lend you my dvd and would be like way too scratched up or something but good um yeah no i haven't broken out that dvd since 2006 i probably watched the movie 10 different times while i was working on my thesis it was not even the longest chapter my thesis was one of the shorter chapters but um yeah so this is the first time in a while it's a different movie now for me than it was back then did you uh, like it more or less, or? Yes. <laughs> um, there are elements of it that I, I really love this time. Certain scenes that work better for me now than they did in the past. Um, there's also, like, it's, it's not David Lynch's strongest film. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first to admit that. It goes off on tangents. Um, a lot of the Santos New Orleans material, I think, for me, doesn't, it isn't as exciting as some of the material with Sailor and Lula. Um, the movie picks up for me in a very, very serious way, kind of right around the midpoint uh, in that amazing scene in the desert uh, where they come across a car crash. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> for people who don't know the film, there's a scene where they're driving through the desert at night and they come across a car crash and two, the two men in the car have died, and there's just a young woman stumbling about desperately looking for her purse or for a hairbrush, worried that her mother is going to kill her, and she's bleeding out of her head. It's and, Audrey. Yeah, it's played it's, by Sherilyn Fenn. Yeah, it's it's another one of the Twin Peaks cast members. Sherilyn Fenn, Audrey Horn from uh, Twin Peaks plays the young woman. It's a stunning scene. It's so upsetting and so it feels like this movie is very consciously 
engaging with artifice. And here's this moment that sort of pierces the veil and is extremely real and extremely upsetting and just gutting. And that ends up being the sort of moment in which everything turns against Sailor and Lula, where they're no longer just having a, you know, a carefree ride across country. Things get really dark for them at that moment. And I think that it... Oh, sorry. I just think it's like a great scene. What were you going to say, Chris? I was going to say, what's what I didn't like about this movie is how heavy-handed everything was. So, like, what you're saying, like, this is the moment where things turn around and go bad. She literally says that in the car to him. She turns to him and goes, hey, I hope seeing that woman die in the car crash didn't jinx us for the rest of the movie. Like, she, she didn't say for the rest of the movie, but that's pretty much what she meant. Like, it- hey, audience. This is when shit's going to turn bad for everybody. <laughs> it's funny because like the movie is very self-conscious and it's very artificial at times um, and very consciously artificial. Uh, Diane Ladd's performance is just a, a thing of wonder because it's like something out of like a 1980s soap opera. So Diane Ladd and, is the mom. Chris. Yeah, Diane Ladd plays Marietta Fortune, uh, Lula's mother. It's like something out of an 80s soap opera and even the art direction of her house looks and like her a soap outfits, opera. oh my god the her wigs. outfits her wigs and the 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 weird the the, the red lipstick to the face when she yeah. covers her face in red lipstick in, in a moment of psychosis covering her entire face with red lipstick it's a it's just this uh I wonderfully thought, nightmarish scene i thought that was just a really heavy-handed she's the wicked witch like instead of green it's red and then they had her shoes with the little pointy shoes I don't know. It's just like that was another thing was the references to Wizard of Oz in this movie are like slot in my opinion. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to get it, but they're just so sloppy and then so heavy handed like 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 they're like, hey, did you see that? We just did a reference to Wizard of Oz back there. Did you get it? If not, we're going to say it 20 we're more gonna, times. We're going to do, do it five or six more times. Yeah. The good witch is going to come down from the heavens and he's going to literally say, the good witch. He's like, he doesn't I mean, say it, yeah. Yeah, and the good witch is played by Cheryl Lee, who is Laura Palmer yeah. on Twin Peaks. We were screaming because like, you couldn't see her very well at the beginning. And then we were like, is that fucking Laura Palmer? Laura Palmer with an alien voice. Yeah. yeah. Wait, do you want to play the clip? Do we have the? Oh, we do have the clip. Yeah. yeah let's play the clip of Laura Palmer with the uh, the alien voice. Uh, it is. Don't turn away. This is where we're jumping around. This is the ending of the movie. Sailor Ripley, Luna loves you. I'm a robber, a manslaughter. I haven't had any parental guidance. She's forgiven you all these things. You love her. <laughs> Don't be afraid, sailor. I'm wild at heart. Title drop. You're truly wild at heart. The second title drop. Fight for your dreams. Don't turn away from love, sailor. Oh listen to the synth tones. It's pure '80s soap opera. I, the thing I'll say, Chris, is like I, I think your reaction to the film is it—it's an honest one, and uh, feeling as though this movie is too over the top in sort of announcing its themes, too direct, too, 
um, I think it's a fair criticism. I also think it's what David Lynch is likely going for and sort of uh, you, you don't have multiple title drops in a movie unless you are trying to be make it a thing, make it an, an extremely self-conscious film. Um, but that's not to everyone's taste. I, I think like, I think that's fair. Um, it's not 100% to my taste, but I, I, I have a lot that I like in this movie. Um, the, the, specifically so, the, the performances. Well, her, Laura Dern did a good job. I, and <laughs> like, you want to talk, like we should talk about uh, Nick Cage's just Elvis. Yeah. I, I do want to before we because there's something that we we um touched on before that we didn't go into that I was saving for the stream. Chris, do you know who plays uh, Laura Dern's mom in this movie? No, who? Laura Dern's mom. That's Laura Dern's mom. Yeah, That's Diane her Ladd. Mom. <laughs> Two time Academy Award nominee Diane Ladd. That's her actual three mom. time three time. <laughs> what the hell? So her mom yeah. signed off on like. All the nudity. She was like there for it. Laura Dern's 23. Just like get from, at it. From it's, everything I've read about this movie though, I think Diane Ladd had like so much fun. Like she it sounds like she just like fucking loved it. She had so much fun. She was nominated for an Oscar for this performance. Really? Yeah. Like she yeah, absolutely. Wow. She clearly had a lot of fun. Oh, the um, Academy. Wow. That I I gotta disagree. That is crazy. That is like like she was trying to to act as bad as possible. <laughs> she, I love, I love her performance in this movie. I think she is in, and she's an amazing actor. Like if you see her in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Rambling Rose, she gives just like great, subtle, like very thoughtful, internalized performances here. Here she's clearly going for something different, and she just embraces that difference. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of her performance in this film and just her work in general. Uh, I, I was I, going yeah. to s- go ahead. It's entertaining. It's definitely entertaining. I didn't I didn't expect the Oscar nomination. Wow, that's incredible. That's the thing. It it's entertaining. It's not naturalistic, and I think that that's one of the more interesting things about this film is that Nicolas Cage, specifically within the context of your show. Nicolas Cage is a performer who's not known for being very naturalistic. He has a very um, kinesthetic way of performing. He performs using his body. He's not what what you see when you see a Nicolas Cage performance is not, you know, the sort of internalized, you know, thought process of like Daniel Day-Lewis. He expresses his performance through his body and he's actually surrounded this film by other performers who I think are very strongly kinesthetic, like Laura Dern, um, like uh, Willem Dafoe, people who are so good at using their body to communicate ideas in a way that doesn't always feel very psychological necessarily, but that allows them to tap into very strange characters. Um, this This is a movie in which I actually think Nicolas Cage maybe has like only the fourth most insane performance in the film. That's a good point. Yeah, I feel like that's a rare case. Like, I, I think you can make the argument that Diane Ladd, uh, Willem Dafoe, and Laura Dern are all much more unhinged in this movie than he is. <laughs> and and in a wonderful way. I, I, I think, like, when I say unhinged, I mean that in a, the best way possible. 
I I don't think we've actually covered this in the podcast yet, but um, the Chris, do you know the style of acting that Nicolas Cage follows? I'm gonna guess it's uh the I'm gonna say oh, but there's a method. I'm gonna say method is in the name. It's well, method acting is a thing. Well, I, I think it's like the Jones method. I don't know the something method. That's my guess. He calls it. I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. Uh, nouveau shamanic shamanic how would i how would you say that brendan um oh boy shamanic or shamanic yeah i I don't think shamanic yeah nouveau like a shaman nouveau shamanic johnny mnemonic style (laughs) acting that's if you said that i would have been right on board he he says uh he something of like he, in an interview, he says, thousands of years ago, pre-Christian, for example, the medicine men or the tribal shamans. Am I saying sh- sh- I don't know. Shaman, yeah. Shamans were really actors. Uh, and it's like like the role of the medicine man and the villagers. And they would act out the, the issues and they would go into a trance, I think is what he's saying. And that's the style of acting that he follows. <laughs> and I that was great. Oh, he's a fucking. Wow. That's funny. I mean, he he's. So much of the joy of Nicolas Cage as a performer comes out of this extremely stylized performance style that he has honed over the course of uh, his entire career. He's had like early on in his career and I'm not, you know, you'll have other films in which you can talk about this. There are a lot of films that he almost got fired from. He almost got fired from a film directed by his uncle because he was being so sad. He was being too weird. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So, you know, he he's a he's a unique performer. I'm really curious why he didn't work with David Lynch again, because, I mean, David Lynch uses the same actors over and over again. Yeah, it's surprising me, too. I actually when I was doing research for this, I found a quote um, from Nicolas Cage. So basically one thing about David is that he is an astronaut when it comes to going places in the universe of creativity. He'll just go and he'll take the actors with him. Furthermore, he says, I just like to be able to keep working with the talented people I've been lucky enough to work with and continue to do the kind of roles that turn me on. So you would think that, you know, this is a fairly positive experience for him. And he seemed to really enjoy working with uh, Lynch. No idea why it never happened again. Um, Can you imagine a world in which like Nicolas Cage became like a David Lynch dude? Ah, That'd be crazy. I mean, uh, you know, the thing is, Cage's career then just like skyrocketed over the next couple of years. And Lynch's next feature after Fire Walk With Me was Lost Highway, which is you know, a pretty tiny budgeted film. Uh, granted, Bill Pullman was kind of at the peak of his career when he started in it. But Bill Pullman was not exactly Nicolas Cage as far as a box office draw in the mid to late 90s. So maybe so Nicolas Cage just got too big for David Lynch. He might have, he might have priced himself out of uh, working with Lynch, yeah. Can you imagine a world in which there's a Nicolas Cage part in Twin Peaks? I would. I oh, just. Wow. I'm surprised that didn't happen. He he would have been Bob. <laughs> like if like any... the new the new Bob for uh, the return. Yeah, I mean Cage could have. Cage absolutely could have inhabited the world of Twin Peaks. Um, and I don't know. I'd love to see another collaboration between the two because I think that. It's a good synthesis of a performance style and a directorial style. I'm just looking yeah. at what he did next, and it looks like he did a movie. His next movie was Zandali. I've never heard oh, of that. Oh, Zandali. Zandali is like kind of a, 
an erotic thriller that he made, like of the sort that was very popular in the early to mid nineties. I actually haven't seen that one, but it's on uh, Amazon prime and I, I've been meaning to watch it. It does look like he started getting in some real mainstream roles in the years following like, uh, and, and you know, and did twin peaks did get canceled like yeah. the year after this. So maybe that really had something to do with it too, but it looks like he started getting like, it could happen to you was in 1994. And Amos and Andrew, I think I've seen that movie. Uh, that was I haven't seen a, that one. That was a bigger movie too, I think, right? Like a comedy? Uh, well, he had some bigger comedies around then. He also had Guarding Tess, which was... Oh, I love uh, that movie. Yeah, it was, you know, that movie played really well. And uh, it could happen to you, you know, had it saw a pretty big audience. Um, all that leading up to, of course, Leaving Las Vegas, which y'all covered with Patrick. Um, yes, which. Nicholas Cage action '90s action movie trilogy. Yeah, somehow leaving Las Vegas is what led to Nicholas Cage becoming a, a massive action star. <laughs> does well, not he, make any he does his own stunts. He was doing all that drinking for real in that movie, <laughs> and they were like, "He'll do anything." On Amos and Andrew, I I knew it. I, I forgot this movie. Now I'm looking at the title. This is him and Samuel L. Jackson in a buddy movie, like a buddy. That sounds awesome. It's gonna be a good watch. I can't wait to get back and watch that one. Um. Why don't we, I, I think, I think we've kind of jumped all over the place. Maybe let's just like briefly touch through some of the big scenes that happened through the mo- movie and like relatively order just because I, there's so, I, I actually wasn't thinking that there'd be that much to cover, but my notes, there's like so much stuff we didn't cover. Yeah. Like, so like we start out in this movie, like with, uh, they're at some sort of fancy party. Right. And then someone tries to kill Nicolas Cage. <laughs> you want to play then that scene? Just, like, that's a yeah we have a little clip from that scene actually we start off with just like a really brutal murder Uh oh you know what uh, just gave me this to kill you she said It, and we're like, not going to show the brutal murder. <laughs> he does the old smash the dude's head against the ground repeatedly over and over again. You know that that scene just like I, movies like this stress me out because it's it was so chaotic. Everything like didn't make sense. The things that were happening were kind of slightly out of order, and the things they were saying were like so aggressively sexual. Leading up to this fight is like saying all this like really dirty stuff, and then all of a sudden like the knife comes out, and then she's screaming really loud, and it's just like intense. You know what I mean? Like uh, physical Absolutely. violence. It was so and the, and the thing that sets you up for that is that opening shot, which is just this, you know, beautiful traditional crane shot starting on the uh, ceiling that lands on them walking down the steps. And then it just cuts to a weird punch in shot. So you start to feel like, oh, the energy in the scene is very strange. And then the moment that 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 he pulls out the knife, everything just ramps up in speed so quickly. She's screaming way too loud that blast of speed metal starts playing by the yeah. band Power Mad, who actually make an appearance in the film. Um, and then, By name, too. They call them Power Mad. It's like, oh, Power Mad's playing. Like, they say the actual name. <laughs> and then and then within, like, three seconds of where we just cut off the scene, he is slamming the guy's head into the banister of a staircase, blood spilling out everywhere. So, so this is, up. you know, it, it, it teaches you to be on guard for crazy shit to happen at a moment's notice and for the energy of a scene to switch and change rapidly um which i I, you know that to me is like that's the job of an opening scene in the movie is 
to to tell you how to watch the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the soundtrack actually, uh, I, I enjoy, I, because the soundtrack is like half, it's all right. It's like one third Angelo Baldamenti. Am I saying his name right? Baldamenti. Baldamenti? Baldamenti. Baldamenti, who is the guy who did the music for Twin Peaks. So like, you know, very synthy, like moody shit. And then one third, like Chris Isaac songs. <laughs> yeah, uh, they've got Wicked Game. Um, they actually recorded a alternate music video for Wicked Game featuring Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. Oh, oh, wait, what? Uh-oh. Yeah. I, that's amazing. I had no idea. Hold on. Because uh, I, I, I was, I, I feel like when I hear Wicked Game in a movie, I'm like, oh, that's kind of played out. But this is the year that Wicked Game was released. So it was yeah, like- it, 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 it was, uh, this was, this was the film that started making Wicked Game a horrible cliche that you can't put in movies anymore um and then the other third of the movie is like speed metal so it's like all over the place it's fun yeah it's it's a really it's a really fun energetic thing the thing i'll say about the speed metal and this relates back to my thesis um is it can't just be rock and roll in david lynch's take on these on this archetype it has to be speed metal has to be the most extreme version of rock and roll um, you know, it can't just be, uh, they're on the highway together. It's a highway that is littered with bodies <laughs> where there are constant car crashes. And there's like, so many car crashes. There's so many car crashes and so many scenes where just people are just bleeding out on the and side of the, the road. Most, the radio had the most disturbing shit like ever just being broadcast like and she's just like this is the most disturbing shit ever and then like laura dern's just kind of like oh my god another car crash what's going on like she's you know just kind of commenting on everything that's happening but it's like it's like hitting you on the head over and over again with what's going on it's just such a weird I, I, movie. I understand why you hate that i i i think i'm actually more with brendan on this one i i thought i thought i don't know it's just it's just the style, I guess. Yeah, so, it feels very much the style. But, you know, I, I get why someone would dislike that. It's kind of similar to the new season of Twin Peaks where, like, like violent, crazy shit would just happen out of nowhere. Or, like, someone would be, think, like, so aggressively sexual about something that's, so, like, you know, all the time. I think like, this made a lot more sense than the new season of Twin Peaks. Yeah. I love the new season of Twin Peaks. There was, like, like, like way line. more straightforward narrative. Like, Yeah, it's it, new season of Twin Peaks is very abstract at times. Um I was actually thinking about uh, the new season of Twin Peaks with regard to this film and with regard to Lynch in general. Um, so much of Lynch is about dissecting and trying to reimagine and rethink the imagery and mythology of the 1950s and mm. the middle part of the 20th century. And here we get it in this like very strange version of Elvis, the sailor, and you know everyone's driving uh, uh, convertibles and it feels very 1950s even though it's not set in the 50s um in twin peaks the return i think the the episode that for me stands out the most is episode eight which is uh the the great moment where we realize that the primordial evil in the world of twin peaks stems from the great evil of the middle part of the 20th century american culture which is the atomic bomb yeah we have this uh, crazy uh atomic bomb sequence with uh classical like very intense classical music it is just, just like, one no long trombone it is this 
Yeah. And that scene is five minutes long. It's so and it's a slow it's a great zoom scene. out it's, of a new. It's gun. wonderful. Um, and then the guy gets a rubber glove hand and he punches evil to death. The end. Case closed. I forgot about the rubber glove hand guy. Oh my god, there's so much crazy stuff. That guy, that. man, it's, we're getting on a tangent, but that guy does this tour of of the UK accent YouTube video. The guy that's with the, the rubber tour glove of hand. The UK accent guy. Yes, that's him. Same, you know. There you go. Um, I I did think about the like I the relationship between Twin Peaks and this is like. You know, it's not it's not a murder mystery, obviously, so that's got difference. But I do feel like it's sort of like a look at all these weird people. But it's just like, oh, but what about if they were in the South as opposed to the Pacific Northwest? <laughs> yeah. And in both cases, he uses the sort of armature of noir and the crime film in order to sort of to give a space to all of these like eccentric characters that he's interested in. Um, in the case of this, you know, you can't not talk about the fact that this was based off of the novel. It wasn't an original idea. And Barry Gifford is someone that he ended up collaborating with uh, multiple times. Uh, he co-wrote Lost Highway with Barry Gifford, and he did a television series on HBO in the mid-90s called Hotel Room. They did mm. two episodes of Hotel Room together. Um, so Barry Gifford and his very cracked take on the uh, world of crime ended up becoming a major element of Lynch in the nineties. Um, Let's, um, all right. So he goes, he kills a guy. He goes to jail. He gets out of jail. He goes to jail for like two years. Somehow he gets a manslaughter charge. I don't know. Self-defense. Self-defense. All right, fine. Uh, And then we go on the run. Um, We get, I mean, we go on the run. There's a lot of sex yeah so much sex and this this is a very horny movie <laughs> halfway through meg and i were like hey oh wait during the sex there's rainbow colors somewhere over the rainbow as if we were like d- figuring out some subtle thing that this whole thing was going to be an allegory for wizard of oz nah <laughs> no subtlety no subtlety. Yeah, he's not interested in subtlety it's not an allegory either there's no allegory it's like you could start putting things together but it never it never pans out like there's we, no we, we paused the movie quite a few times to be like who's the cowardly lion i was like when 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 uh audrey you know is on the side of the road in that car crash and she's got the big head injury i'm like oh she's a scarecrow because she lost her brain they're gonna pick her up and she's gonna join them on the yellow brick road nah. <laughs> no no it's an interesting theory, though. It's like a fun way to play with the text. Yeah. Um, you know, Lynch is obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. It, that's like a, that's something that comes back in a lot of his uh, films. Mulholland Drive you, has kind of a Wizard of Oz structure to it where characters from the real world are different versions of themselves in a dream. Um, he, he seems to be very interested in that sort of like dreamlike structure that Wizard of Oz brought to the mainstream of American cinema. We, um, yeah, so we, uh, we've got, all right, so now we've got, we've got them on the run. Uh, they're fucking, mom is trying to kill them. <laughs> um, we have this great scene, which I think we have two clips from at a metal club. Yes. Uh, which, uh, there's, there's like, the first one I picked because I was just like, it's just, it, 
Well, actually, I'll tell you in a second. Let's watch. Let's watch it. So they're on the run. They're going out. We got some dancing to do. Watch Nicholas Cage during this part. Big kicks, big kicks. Big kicks. I, and I, um, I will say, I wasn't expecting the speed metal or whatever. I was expecting, like, you know, we're going to go dancing and it's going to be like, you know, because the way they presented themselves. And then all of a sudden it's friggin', you know, crazy death metal. That was interesting. Can, Chris, can you play the talk show clip? Oh, yeah. So yeah, this, yeah. this is the reason, because I was like, oh, this is really reminding me of something. Welcome, Nicholas Cage. What is, I don't know what he's giving to the audience. He's throwing money. That's money. He was throwing money at the audience. This, isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, so, so uh, this, this, is it really Nicholas Cage acting or is it just, I don't know. This, the, 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 this, this, I don't know. The, the whole kick thing is just reminded me of that clip. So that that's a really crazy interview, which is also from 1990 on a TV show called. I already forgot it. Bongo, Jorgo, <laughs> Jorgan. These are all sounding like real names of television shows. Yeah, they all, these all sound like uh, potential British television series. I believe it's Wogan. 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 Yeah, it's Terry Wogan. Wogan's uh, BBC talk. A show. Do you want to play um, the, the other clip from the? Yeah, the, yeah. So the then, so then after after that little detour, then we then uh, so he's at the club. Somebody harasses Lula. He beats him up, and then this happens. You fellows have a lot of same power he had. Y'all know this one. To read me like a did not see that coming. That was a weird one. He just literally grabs the mic from the band. It's a metal band and says they have a lot of the same power that Elvis has and then just starts singing an Elvis song and does the full song. I wish I had gotten the part where he he uses the Nick Cage powers to uh, to stop the band. Like it's like deafening, like death metal playing. And he just kind of goes like, and the band instantly stops like instantly. <laughs> like that was cool he's he he has a connection to the music i i love that moment where he's singing um that song and he indeed sings again later in the film um yeah nicholas cage has like a weird elvis thing yeah uh, which about that which strings through a lot of his films honeymoon in vegas is another one and um then ends up being a part of his own life because he was married for about three and a half months to lisa marie presley um, is the you know he collected Elvis memorabilia for a long time. He was obsessed with Elvis, and there's a lot of Nicolas Cage in Sailor. Um, Nicolas Cage actually was the one who came up with the idea of Sailor wearing a snakeskin jacket, and so the 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 line about the snakeskin jacket representing. Uh, his uh, originality that is repeated multiple times in the film that is uh, from Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so there's a lot of Cage in Sailor. 
says, what so, do I, what do I always, what do I always say about the snakeskin jacket? And she's like, the snakeskin jacket is a symbol of your individuality and your belief in personal freedom. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a great bit of costuming. It's now, that, iconic. That is interesting. I have a theory about Nicolas Cage now. So if you remember from Face Off, he had a backstory that he improved about uh, why uh, Castor Troy was evil, which was yeah. his dad made him wear a pink dress. So maybe the first place his head goes when he's developing how he's going to be the character is the clothes. And he's like, everything's clothing based. So he's like, oh, I need a piece of clothing that I can use to, to tie this whole thing together. You know what I mean? Have you all seen the picture of, that recently came out of Nicolas Cage? With that jacket? With the jacket. If um, Let me see if I can find it. Um, I'll send it to you, Chris, and you can put it, pull it up. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Is it an old picture or a new picture? No, it's, no, it's, it's a very, very recent picture of him. Oh, God, I'm, I'm scared. It's not bad. <laughs> Shoot me that right. link and I'll get it up on the... Uh... I just... Oh. Well, we're doing that. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, a bunch of stuff happens. We we get to we we get to meet Mister. We get to meet a lot of random characters in this point in the movie. We get to meet Mister Reindeer, Mister mm-hmm. uh, Reindeer, who Chris and I were pretty sure was uh, Mike from uh, Twin Peaks. Was not Mike from it's Twin not Mike from Twin Peaks. No, uh, I actually don't know who plays Mister Reindeer. I'm um, blanking on that. That actor Mr. I have seen seen in other things. Yeah, W. Sure. Morgan Shepard. He's in a ton of stuff. Um, I mean, he's just like he, this movie is filled with that guy. Yeah, like, there are a lot of like great character actors in this movie who just we, show uh, up for a scene or two. There's the jacket. Nick Cage also obsessed with Superman. That is a solid ass jacket. I don't know. I don't know how anyone can look at that and not think that wearing a mask is cool. <laughs> Here's my question. He looks question. like a villain, like a cartoon villain. Is What's that up, his back tattoo? Is that a wing? Are these just like. Yeah, he's this... got wing back patches. He's got a Superman back patch. He's got a poodle. Wait a minute. This back tattoo, represent... I gotta get a photo. I think these all just represent his movies because the wings could be uh, Ghost Rider. Uh, these might just be patches like a Girl Scout collecting badges. <laughs> what, what what could the poodle be? Mm. Was there a poodle in, in Raising Arizona? No, I pro- I'm probably mistaken. I here. mean, the gun is probably face-off. That's an obvious one. We need to enhance. I'm actually enhance. surprised we don't have any better pictures of Nicolas Cage's back tattoo. out. Chris, I'm going to send you the one that I do. So the back tattoo... Oops. Um, the back tattoo shows up in this movie. I don't know if uh, you guys caught it. You guys uh, at some point I, when you I, I, I didn't catch it now. Yeah, he's um, very, it's like not. He very, has a back tattoo there, but... of maybe a dragon. It's hard to tell. Um, in uh, in leaving Las Vegas, he uh, there's a there's a scene where he has the back tattoo, and you can see it through his shirt. And then there's another scene where he's shirtless, and it's very poorly covered up with like <laughs> pancake makeup. So uh, clearly this was a tattoo he got at a young age. So I look forward to um, uh, back tattoo sightings throughout our show. So far, I think this is number two. Let's see if I can enhance this one. <laughs> yeah, that's the cage back tattoo. 
I yeah, I, it looks like a dragon or a snake. Look how young he is in this picture too. He's got to be early twenties. Yeah, a rare yeah, goatee cage. This is a this is a rare cage. A good look. <laughs> rare cages. <laughs> so. So, all right, so we meet, so at this point in the movie, we meet a lot of weird characters. We meet um, the weird guy at the bar who talks in an altered voice very much. Uh, I mean, that's like, the only time we meet him. He's just there and gone. He talks yeah. like Donald Duck. He kind of quacks at yeah. that. And then he says, like, pigeons are spreading disease or something. I don't know what the hell that was, but that was insane. We meet. Oh, God. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I was going to change it, so go ahead. Oh, no, I, w- I was going to ask about some of the other characters that we meet. Yeah, so we got, we got Jingle Dale, Crispin Glover. This is a pretty weird segment where we have uh, Laura Dern's cousin, I think, who yeah. uh, is obsessed with Christmas and uh, puts cockroaches in his underwear. And like, yeah, so- in just a weird, uh, like, tangential flashback that we never come back to. Yeah. It's delightfully strange but like also the the imagery is very disturbing like when he uh is in the santa claus outfit like he has like sores on his forehead and this hairline is i don't know if that's some kind of bizarre wig or something it's all fucked up he looks like he's like mutated or something and then it just goes away and he's all slicked back and he's crispin glover again sticking roaches up his ass so i don't know that kind of stuff i think that kind of chaos always just kind of makes me freaked out and it's hard for me to watch a movie like that it puts you on edge yeah yeah um so uh yeah any other weird characters we meet grace zabriskie for the first time yeah grace zabriskie and her two assistants who as chris said earlier do kind of voodoo murder on uh poor johnny farragut played by harry dean stanton um, her character is Juana Perdango, and her daughter shows up later in the film, played by Isabella Rossellini. In the worst um, wig I have ever seen. In yes. a terrible wig. In a look that Rossellini said in an interview was inspired by Frida Kahlo. Yeah. Because the eyebrows? Um, she, uh, she's got these guys. Oh, yeah. Um, Bushy boys. So, I mean, just a lot of interesting performers showing up in very small parts. Jack Nance is yes. uh here another twin peaks uh standby played pete parnatel and twin peaks also was the lead in Eraserhead. uh john lurie shows up for a scene um as you know just another guy in that weird group hanging outside at the motel uh he was you know famous new york musician founded the lounge lizards was in a bunch of jim jarmusch films just a lot of like you know, eccentric character actors showing up for bit parts just for a chance to be in a David Lynch movie. I I really like the Jack Nance scene where he's it's like, my dog barks um mentally you picture my dog, but I have not told you what type of dog I have. Yeah. I uh, a, he was a he was a really unique actor. I mean he could do a lot of stuff. Um I I always wondered if there was going to be if Pete Martell could have gone to stranger places on Twin Peaks because he was just such a unique and strange character actor. Yeah. So we have a lot of weird stuff. And then we finally meet Willem Dafoe, who is pretty highly billed in this movie for how late he shows up. Yeah. And uh, and he's got bad teeth. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
crazy teeth prosthetic. Yeah, disgusting teeth. I mean, he is a uh, he's a very upsetting character. Lynch loves throwing these like embodiments of pure evil into his films, like these disgusting, just completely foul looking characters. And Bobby Peru is one of the most foul. Kind of like uh, uh, Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet. Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet. Um, Robert Loggia and Lost Highway. Uh, these characters show up a lot, and it's an archetype that he seems to really like. Yeah. It's just like, like I think uh, just a lot more rapey than I was really kind of expecting out of this movie. Yeah, like a that lot seems of real hard, incredibly upsetting. Yeah, hard, hard turns in that direction over and over again. And even like up leading up to that point, it's just like, grossly sexual just like oh god like no one actually even even the worst people don't actually talk this way you know what i mean so it's yeah. just like is over the top i just yeah but i i could see that now that it, we're talking about it that's more like kind of a style i guess now if you think of it like it was on purpose if you think like he's just sloppy and this isn't on purpose then you're like this is a terrible movie but if you start like attributing like actual intent behind all this stuff then it makes sense yeah um we yeah we have the the creepy sexual assault scene which is terrible and uh laura dern finds out she's pregnant nicholas cage responds by smoking two cigarettes at once yeah <laughs> he pulls out two cigarettes he's smoking for two yeah. um and, and then laura we get dern to the class- has nothing yeah, but, like for some reason she only packed like the skimpiest of lingerie for this trip and that's it no other clothes like yeah, she is wearing she, nothing but see-through, like like skin-tight outfits and crap like that. <laughs> yeah. There was this whole thing. I don't know if we talked about this, but she had a no nudity clause before this movie, and then was just like, you know what? I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> and she does again and again and again throughout yeah. the movie. You see a lot of Laura Dern in this movie, which is so crazy considering that her co-star is her mother. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I was reading something about Dern and Lynch, who have obviously worked together a ton. And this is the one movie that uh, Lynch told Laura Dern's kid not to watch until he was much older. And Laura Dern was like, oh, David, he won't be that shocked by like the nudity or the sexual content. He's like, no, no, no. The important thing is that he not see his grandmother be so evil. <laughs> That's, so. That makes sense. I think if, yeah. I, yeah, if I if I had watched this as a kid, I would have like been very disturbed. I think it's a good when the dude gets his head blown off. I think that'd probably be a, a good enough reason yeah. to not have it. You know, it's like, hey, don't watch RoboCop because of the violence. No, 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 no. It's because, you know, we don't want them to hate cyborgs or something, you know, like something <laughs> like that. So yeah, so we get all right. Well, let, let's we're almost near the end. So um, we uh, Willem Dafoe takes Nicolas Cage out on a uh, little robbery thing, but it's really a setup so he can super murder him. The murder doesn't really go as planned. Uh, instead, there's like a cop who gets involved, and then Willem Dafoe somehow gets shot by the cop several times, and then manages to fall on his shotgun, pull the trigger, and blow his own head off. And then you hear Nick Cage hit the ground and go, oh, that poor bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Like 
so much empathy, so much compassion for the man who just tried to kill you and, like, you know, <laughs> touched your, your girlfriend. Well, he doesn't Sailor, know that. Sailor and Lula are, are pure. They're innocent. They, they, they believe in love. And they're, they're embodiments of love. <laughs> that poor... Um, yeah, that scene absolutely rules. And then, and but, then the dog... Like the guy's like his hand gets blown off and then he's like, where's my hand? Where's my hand? And then like a dog runs out with a fake hand. Two overweight elderly men rooting around in their own blood as they're bleeding profusely, like like reddest like fake blood of all time. And one of them is con- like, you know, like roughly like, you know, hey, don't worry, we'll find that hand. They saw it on all the time. It'll work just as good as new. Don't worry about it. Like the weirdest fucking scene. Yeah, that rules. That feels very Twin Peaks. Very. Oh, it's very Twin Peaks. It, it's very much the same energy that he brought to Twin Peaks. Um, just like the the juxtaposition of the absurd and the extremely violent. Uh, I I love that scene. I think it it plays really well. It escalates really well. Um, it's it's so fun. And like Willem Dafoe is so fun in that movie. That that uh that what is the line? You got dummies, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Here's the a, a perfect line reading. Did you, there was something about uh, like, uh, uh, oh my God, I can't remember the director's name. What's wrong? David, David, Lynch. David Lynch. God, what's wrong with me? Uh, David Lynch that uh, in all these movies, he always incorporates like old people that are so old. It's like inco- uncomfortable to watch them on screen because you're like, yes. this person's gonna kill the fuck over. Like those three people working in the the hotel, that like yeah. little old guy. You're like, oh my god, like don't be rough with that poor old man. He's like 900 years old. Yeah, yeah. he does he, kind of use elderly people for comic relief a lot. Like those the two people rooting around the floor, are like two old people. It's like it's like, you know, they they might be like not even actors. You know, it's like so hard to tell. Yeah, just like stumbling around in their own blood at the feed store. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a wild scene, and he has again, like he just has things that he comes back to, images that he he loves and that he he returns to again and again. Um, so so after this, uh, he gets arrested by the cops, goes to jail. Uh, He's in jail. His he's got a kid outside of jail that he hasn't met. He's bettering himself. Guys, it's the beginning of Con Air. <laughs> this movie flows right into Con Air. This it's- movie could seamlessly transition into Con Air. They both have a southern accent. His accent gets thicker in jail. He goes he goes he to jail. Out his hair. He goes to jail for the exact same amount of time that the character from Con Air not Memphis Reigns. Uh, I don't. He's got too many names. Poe po Dameron. No, po. that's um, <laughs> Cameron Poe. Cameron Poe. He goes to jail. So so he he goes to jail as Sailor Ripley. But in order to hide from Santos, he changes the name to Cameron Poe. And there you go. Also from the South. It's like so weird. It's like so weird. I think I think this is a mashup that y'all need to make at this point. It's it's really striking how the se- the scenes are very similar. Like it's just like him with his letters and like his voiceover just being like, "I love you, I miss," or yeah, you know, I can't you know with a thick southern accent. Like can't wait to meet our daughter. 
because that's the thing is in con air when he we haven't done the movie con air yet but when he when he kills uh someone in self-defense uh his girlfriend is pregnant so he goes to jail with a pregnant girlfriend and then the reunion scene when he comes out of jail is very similar he even has a stuffed animal to give to his kid that he hasn't met yet I must so, have been weird uh, for Nick Cage. I bet Nick Cage probably thought of that when he was doing it. Like, well, this is the exact same thing from the other movie. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So he has. I never made that connection. Uh, he has a lion too. So he has a. You know, we've got another uh, wicked, yeah, another Wizard of Oz yeah, thing another. going on there. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, he gets out of jail, and who's there to pick him up? Lula. Lula and she uh, has figured out how to do her hair better. And she shows the passage of time. She throws water at her mom's picture, and her mom evaporates like the Wicked Witch of the yes. West. Guys, guys. There's actually a really great scene with uh, Diane Ladd when she finds out that like Lula's getting back together with uh, Sailor after he's getting out of jail, where she's just like shot from below. Her hair is crazy. She just freaking out she starts that scene at an 11 like she starts she calls her up at an 11 like <laughs> like just she somehow gets attack. to a 20 by the end of it and this is year this is six years later she's only gotten crazier and crazier as time has gone by it's like oh my god and i don't think we ever uh, really explain why he why she hates him so much um which is mainly because she thinks that he knows that she killed her husband yeah. Yeah. I think that yeah. she just kind of secretly likes, like, has the bloodlust and is just like wanting Santos to kill people for her. And she feels so powerful when she's like, you know, Santos. did you get kind of like Carol Baskin vibes from her? Yes. Yes. Maybe the, the, the scene Nick where she's Cage like, is playing the Tiger King in the upcoming film Lions and Tigers go. and Bears, oh my. Another, another Wizard of Oz reference. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, uh, you know, kind of a Southerner, a lot of power, a lot of money, and uh, a, a taste for blood. I, I like this Carol Baskin connection. We, uh, all right, we're we're so close to being close at the end. So he gets out of jail. They they pick him up. He meets his kid. Um, they have like a little. Laura Dern freaks out a little bit. Uh, Nicholas Cage is like, nah, I shouldn't be with you. And she's like, wait, what? And then he's like, nah, I'm leaving and just runs away. Uh, he gets jumped by a really random group of people. Just the most multi-ethnic gang in all of Los Angeles. I, uh, I, By the way, I looked up where the scene was filmed because it looked familiar to me. Um, th- it was filmed in front of the Cafe Gratitude in the Arts District. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it definitely looks like the Arts District. Um, which is now a super yuppie area. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, can I help you? You know, you know, he uses a bad word for gay people mm-hmm. and gets jumped. And then he's like, sorry, I referred to you guys as homosexuals. <laughs> it was 1990. Oh man. I mean, that's, that's actually a lot of growth for 1990. Like that, like the insult using gay as an insult isn't cool yet, but he has, you know well no it's even worse because he's like it's even worse because he's saying like i'm sorry i i insulted you by calling you gay he's he's he's, uh he's a he's an imperfect soul that sailor um he he meets um with a good witch played by shirley 
he wakes up with the most ridiculous fake oh, that nose fake on. Nose Broken nose. Like, yeah. Oh my god, that mo- nose was terrible. And they realizing think- realizing that he needs to return to Lula, he runs through the streets of uh, the arts district. Passing Another- by a horrific car crash. <laughs> <laughs> he parkours over cars. Like he's running on top of cars. And then he uh, sings Love Me Tender to her, which is what he said earlier in the movie. He would only sing to his wife. Did I get that song right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, and it's great. And he, it's it's him both times. He's got a pretty good singing voice, that Nicolas Cage. I wonder why we don't see him sing more often in film. Ooh, I'm going to Google this. Has Nicolas Cage ever done a musical? I'm thinking right back now and i i can't think of a single part he's had that's had i can't remember any no no i I got nothing i got nothing all right guys we did it we made it through the movie oh yay uh any any overall final thoughts on the movie before we uh we rank it i'm gonna say i i having heard your points that it's it's like you know all on purpose i understand this a little bit better now it's still not for me just because the, that kind of imagery and stuff always messes with me but i understand that it's it's like a style choice that he's doing all these crazy things so that, that makes it a little fair. better yeah i think that's fair i you know i we all have different tastes i think you know i i i really like this movie i think it held up for me having not seen it in what 14 years um the stuff that really stood out to me was extremely powerful um and the stuff that didn't work for me really didn't work for me but that that's lynch in general like you know he definitely has moments that he um loses the thread but overall i think he's just an incredibly talented filmmaker and that cage does a great job with him yeah Let's um, Chris. You want to bounce us over to that trivia title card quickly? I yeah, got a few a few ones we haven't trivia. covered. Trivia time. Um. What a what a lovely uh little, little little trivia card you got gone. Um, just a few random ones. Did you guys know that this is the only David Lynch movie with a sequel? This movie had a sequel. What? It's not directed by David Lynch, but it's called. Perdita Durango and it's stars Rosie Perez and um, Javier Bardem uh, and Rosie Perez plays the part that was originally played by Isabella Rossellini. What? Yeah, it's a well, cause it's it's another it's adapted from a different Barry Gifford novel. Oh, okay. that is uh, that features the sort of because there are a lot of Sailor and Lula stories within Barry Gifford's uh, work. And so, like, it's this entire universe of stories. Whoa. Um, I haven't seen Perdita Durango. There's a... Dance with the Devil in the United States. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a... What's it called? Uh, There was a sex scene right after Johnny Farragut was killed in the movie um, with uh, uh, Juana and Reggie, who I think is uh, Grace Zabriskie and then the guy she was with. Uh, but they apparently, I, I, I feel like I've seen a bunch of different numbers for this, but like there, every, every quote I've seen from it is like, and then a hundred people walked out and then 200 people walked out, but basically like people just like 
saw wow. that sex scene and were just like, fuck this movie and left. <laughs> so they cut the they cut it. <laughs> yeah, the test screenings for this movie did not go well. <laughs> it was uh ahead of its time, I guess. Um still might be. Uh, the the scene where Willem Dafoe goes and harasses Laura Dern, he takes a piss beforehand, um, and uh, the I guess he was maybe not supposed to actually pee in the toilet, but he had just had a lot of water, so he peed in the toilet. Oh and, man, uh, it wasn't a real toilet. No, that is very much a, a set toilet. It's the <laughs> it, oh. that's oh I can't imagine the poor art director had to clean that up. <laughs> Um, and then I think we might've, I don't remember if we covered this, but the movie was originally rated X Mm -hmm. and they had to cut a lot of, a couple things. But the main thing that they cut was the scene at the end where Willem Dafoe shoots off his own head. So they made it less explicit. Like, I think it was a lot more violent beforehand and they, uh, added more smoke and they cut away. Oh, wow. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's rank this movie guys. All right. I'm I'm in for it. Hey, I still show up on the screen for some reason. We got, we've, we good. Oh yeah. yeah, We're fine. Okay. We've seen four movies so far. Uh, Chris, do you remember what our top movie was? Uh, our top movie, uh, I think, up to this point, was uh, Face Off, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Sorry, just so here's the, the uh, my we're, we're gonna, so we've seen Face Off, we've seen Leaving Las Vegas, we've seen Wicker Man, and I'm pretty sure that's the order of Face Off, Leaving Las Vegas, Wicker Man. Um, if you guys had to guess where that would fall, I'm gonna guess that it's gonna be below leaving las vegas yeah i think that you guys i think that the overall score is probably going to drag it down that far yeah i think i'm going to rate it highly and i, I don't know if we are going to. i might i might do better than i think uh let, let us know when you're ready chris oh yeah it's opening it in the uh sorry i forgot to open this but it is opening now okay well, the, trivia, the rating of x was replaced in the year 1990 by the nc-17 so if this had been released as an x-rated film it probably would have been the last x-rated film oh that's a good um, in september of 1990 henry in june the uh film about uh henry miller was released with an nc-17 rating uh, uh here's <laughs> another trivia while we wait uh marilyn manson called it his favorite romantic movie of all time I don't think that's a plus for me. Oh, what yeah. we got going on here? We got like a Excel spreadsheet. Sorry, behind guys. The scene. Ah. There we got. I got a whole bam, list of bam, trivia. bam. Yeah, let's get some more trivia up in here. Uh, let's see. Um, before filming started, Laura Dern and Nick Cage went on a road trip to Las Vegas in order to bond and get a handle on their characters. It was Dern's idea with her stating, we agreed that Sailor and Luna had to be one person, one character, and we would share it. That's lovely. Kind of sweet. That's lovely. And she is so good in this movie. I, she is just wonderful in everything. But um, it's, it's wild that they never did a movie again together, right? I don't believe it's they did. At heart. I, I actually I think of them as sort of like very similar actors in terms of their performance styles. Like too much. 
Um, they're both very effusive actors. Uh, and they, you know, they're around the same age. She's a little bit younger than he is, but they've had very similar careers, although she's having something of a, a renaissance right now. A renaissance. Um, which is well-deserved. She's amazing. Here, while we're waiting, I'll, I'll skip ahead too. I've got a, a non-movie trivia. So I want, we always like to share a Nicolas Cage fact uh, during these uh, Wait, episodes. Uh, be- I have a Nicolas oh, you- Cage fact thing that's supposed Nicolas to come Cage up, fact? but it, it didn't come up. Never mind. It's Guys, okay. We'll, we'll just, we'll just talk really about it. I'm really screwing up tonight. Bam, bam, oh. bam. It's fine. Nicolas Cage fact. Fire. All right. Uh, we in 2010, he told David Letterman a story about how his pet cat Lewis got into a bag of shrooms he had lying around, and so the cat started tripping out. And so Nicolas Cage decided that the sociable thing to do would be to have some as well to keep him company. So he did shrooms with his cat. That's nice. lovely. Good job. And we're Nicolas up and Cage. running, guys. Sorry, we got about it. That. let's rank this movie. All right. So, all right, we like to start with the guest. So, um, I, I need a point of clarification. What is the yes. difference between cast and acting for our purposes? Uh, cast is how much you like the cast in general, um, and acting is how good the acting is in this movie. Okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, so cast, I'm gonna say nine. Okay, wow, I love uh, this cast. I, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of just my favorite Lynchian character actors, so. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm going to say six because I recognized a lot of them, uh, but I wanted more Audrey. <laughs> uh, Actually, I'll give I'm it a gonna, seven, seven. Okay. I'm going to say eight. I mean, I just love seeing all the different people from Twin Peaks. It's, uh, I, it is great. All right. Acting. And this is not just Nicolas Cage's acting. This is just in general. Um, go go be real go as high as I'm, you want I'm going to be real I'm going to give this a 9 I think the acting in this movie is tremendous it is not naturalistic acting it is very stylized but it is all in concert with one another everyone in this movie is on the same page They've, they're all decided to be in the same movie together and the fact that they're able to do that in a such a strange performance style I think is very admirable all right, I'm going six. I really like Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage and everything else is so crazy that I just I, I was so out of it. I'm just not a connoisseur of this type of movie. That's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a seven. All right. Landing all right. firmly at an eight. How uh all right, how fun was this movie, Brendan? This movie is not that fun. And I'll be <laughs> the first to admit it. Like it, there's a lot of this movie that is that is really hard to watch um and at times it a little bit drags i'm going to give but at t- you know there's also really fun stuff i'm gonna give this a six for fun six now you see like now i'm thinking in my brain the gears are turning and i'm like all right so you you cut it right when he gets sentenced and they show the bars closing and then you do a morph to the longer hair and all that stuff and you do some voiceover that's just like you're up for parole. It's six years later. And then you just cut right to the plane when he gets on that plane. Like we're bringing him on a prison plane and that adds another 45 minutes and it'd be a lot more fun. Anyway, this movie, I'm going to give a five for fun. <laughs> I wonder how, scary. how Sailor Ripley would fare in the world of Con Air. I mean, I think he'd just be like obsessed with his, you know, ex-girlfriend. Yeah. 
Uh, although, I mean, so is so is uh, Cameron Poe. He's like, that's his whole thing is he wants to get back to his his family, you know, so like not that different. But kind of, it's really eerily similar. It's so similar. All right. Uh, fun. Uh, I'm going to do a six. I mean, there's memorable, weird scenes, and I didn't find the disturbing stuff as disturbing as it could have been. I thought the funnest, the most fun scene in the whole movie was the Elvis singing at the the, the concert where he stops the band. And I thought yeah. that was really fun. Um, technical. Yeah. What am, I, what am I like? Just like. Sets, I mean, look, at, it's a beautiful effects. looking movie. The art direction's great. The cinematography is great. I'm giving it an eight. Wow. Uh, I, I, I really like this movie. Sorry. No, I, you don't have to apologize. That's why we have you. I'm going to take it down because of that weird prosthetic nose. The, you know, the, the blood is very fake. I mean, it's all style choices now what I'm thinking. But if I'm going to, I'm going to say a, a four for technical. If it takes you out of it, it takes you out of it. Yeah, I'm going to say a four, too. I know it was the era and it was the style, but I wouldn't say, you know, this doesn't. All right. Overall, out of 10. Overall, I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. Nice. Uh, I'm going to give it a six out of 10 because I I liked parts of it, but I, I got kind of like, yeah, they took me out of it sometimes. Uh, and I'm going to continue my trend of splitting the difference and give it a seven. <laughs> All right. And this last section here is where you can award a bonus point for anything. Um, Chris, you, you and I have one. We can we can do ours first as an example. Yeah, go for it. Or take away a bonus point. I'm going to uh, I'm going to give I'm going to take away a bonus point for the scene where uh, the needless sex uh, tangent where they just bring a lady in and you know, he's telling that story about sex and then like they acted out needlessly and like, I don't know, this poor woman just like, you're going to be in a David Lynch movie. It's going to be great. And then like, you know, they just like literally like get in there and feel her, you know. So, uh, yeah, that that I'll take a point away for that. Um, I'm going to add a point for Diane Ladd, who was really fun to watch. (laughs) I'm going to add a point for Bobby Peru's teeth. Ah, that's a good point. All right, let's see. So, the 101 points. So, uh, I do not recall our scores. So, I guess we'll just have to. It definitely beat Wicker Man. Yeah, definitely beat Wicker Man. That's. And I'm that's... guessing it beat Leaving Las Vegas too, but I don't think it's going to beat Face Off. Face I off can't is. imagine it'll beat Face Off. What do we got, Chris? Number one. Wait, hold on. Something's wrong. Oh, 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 I, yeah. That's I, wrong I, if if Face Off is four. I didn't oh no, pro- did I did I mess up? I might have messed up the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, take us behind the scenes take us behind the scenes we're going behind the scenes to the the, 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 backup, the backup slide okay face off has zero points that's wrong oh uh, it's because it, all right face off should have 115, 115. points just Boom. plug it in we'll fix it later right, we'll fix back. them both sorry guys take us- oh no now you're saying too much okay there we go there it's we go two. that feels more true okay so we've got Face Off number one, Wild at Heart number two, Leaving Las Vegas number three, and The Wicker Man number four. This is going to get real crowded once we get to movie number 104. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that this beat Leaving Las Vegas, but I think it's... it's I'm not. I that's me. It's like it's my bias like weighing in, I think. Um, I, I also don't really like Leaving Las Vegas. That's true. Chris, yes. take us to the cage gauge. We're going to the cage gauge. All right, so... 
Uh, now we're going to just kind of quickly rate Cage and Cage alone on craziness and acting ability. Uh, so, and when I say Kate craziness, think of that, that quintessential Cage craziness. You know what I mean? Like, what is the best example of the Cage craziness? Not like just general craziness. So is, if this movie, where is it? If, if you think of the craziest he's ever been in a film, the whatever, the Vampire's Kiss or whatever that example is, like counting the A, B, C, whatever. Yeah. Where, where would this land on that out of 10? Like I said, Nicolas Cage is very much in the style of the film, but he is also giving the maybe fourth most insane performance in this film so i'm gonna give this a seven seven yeah i'm right there with you i don't think this is like super crazy cage i'm actually gonna i, th I think this is actually yeah i'm around a seven too just because there are a lot of kicks and a lot of things like that but he's not yeah. like you know yelling a lot yeah there's not a lot of those like random yelling like random taking your sentences at a high volume for no reason i'm actually gonna give him a five because i think he was relatively subdued um and uh, Chris is gonna average this out. Wow, guys! Tonight you got this, Chris. Not I did not expect well. this to be an Excel. Excel. This is not going well. This uh, this this uh, whole situation. All right, six point right. three three. Okay. Acting. Acting. So we got like how good. Yeah, how do yeah. you think Cage is, Cage is acting? Like his... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not an all-timer performance. He kind of gets um, outshone a little bit in this film. I'm also going to give this a seven. Seven on Cage acting? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say five, just because I, I thought that I wasn't... I mean, it, it, like I said, it's probably a style choice, but it was so over the top at points, and so, like, you know, I didn't really, you know. So, yeah, five. Uh, I'm just going to give it a five, too. I feel like it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was sort of just, like you know, par for the course. All right, let's see where that puts us on the cage gauge. It puts us in the good acting crazy uh, quadrant, which is, you know, to be expected from this film. You yeah. Know, it, it being a critical, critically acclaimed film. And if you kind of stacked it up against all the other ones we have at the moment, you got, it's up there with uh, Face Off and Leaving Las Vegas and, uh, and uh, you know, in that quadrant. So far, the but it, only, it, yeah. it's the uh, it's the closest to zero you've gotten so far on your cage gauge. Yeah, yeah. it really is, which is interesting, it's, which it's, is interesting. Uh, I mean, there are going to be some much. I'm, I'm wondering, like, what is I'm I'll be very curious on your part to find out, like, what exactly is the dividing line between crazy and not crazy? Like, what is the perfect synthesis of? um these two modes of cage i have a thought on that and i think it may be the movie the weatherman but <laughs> we'll see or you'll movie, see when you do your weatherman man. episode or the family man those movies could be could be on the line because i remember or he's the wicker man the wicker man is firmly I'm in the more crazy. man movies we should just just kind of tabulate does this have the man in the title all <laughs> <laughs> uh, right um Guys, we've ranked, we've watched the movie, we've talked about the movie, we've ranked it. We have done the thing. Guys. It happened. So, uh, Brendan, what do you have anything you want to promote given this yes. massive audience? I am a screenwriter. <laughs> I write screenplays, which I sell uh, and which I hope that you will buy if you're a producer or a director, even just an actor who's looking to option a script to play a role. I have them. Please <laughs> buy my screenplays. 
and you can buy there's a bulk discount <laughs> yeah if you buy multiple screenplays i i will charge you less per screenplay <laughs> calls it a booze arts dozen is there a is there is there a promo code promo code uh, uh Pro- cage promo code los angeles is expensive <laughs> Buy my scripts. <laughs> that's that's what I got. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. But better than ours. I uh, so well, we got uh, virtual improv. That's our thing. Um, oh, that's a good thing though. Fridays yeah, at thing. seven. Fridays at seven only. We we canceled the Tuesday show because we have too much to do. <laughs> so you can catch us every Friday, 7 p.m. Pacific time on uh, twitch.tv slash managers comedy. Oh, look, some birds. Sending the doves in. <laughs> Sending the doves in. Um, we have another fun thing to promote. Actually, I'm going to uh, paste this into the chat, the ticket link. Uh, this is um, the LA 48 hour film project. So that's uh, where you make a movie in 48 hours. Uh Chris and I and our friend Will did it this year. We uh, made a really weird little movie. Um, And uh, it's called uh, Me, Me, You, and Marlon. And it's premiering on October 25th at 7 p.m. Pacific time uh, online. So you can watch it no matter where you are. And I put the ticket link on it. Um, And uh, And there's a lot of audience. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's an audience votes thing. So if you want to join and vote for us, that's great. But if not. Yeah. It's actually going to be a really fun weekend event too. If you're yes, bored at yeah. home and uh, and you want to have something fun to do, it starts on the 24th and 20 and it goes to the 25th. There's uh, a bunch of different screening groups and there's like a lot of really really fun. I love doing this every year because you get to see like the the gamut from like really crudely made like on an iPhone like five minute movie to like these people must have spent twenty thousand dollars on this film like really professional special stuff, effects. Yeah everything like cop car chases it you name it so like uh it's a really fun thing to do it's a la 48 hour film project uh just find that website and uh and yeah there's a lot of really great movies next weekend yeah and a great equalizer because everyone had 48 hours to do it so yeah um (laughs) but yeah so we had fun uh all right and then uh we are back next week uh same time same place uh 7 p.m. on October 25th, we will be discussing the movie National Treasure with our mm. friend Will Giannetta, who is this is his third name drop in this episode. Um, and we would love to have you back. Um, we're also raising money for the LA Downtown Women's Center. Um, the link is going to be on the uh, end, ending title card. Uh, it's an organization in downtown LA focused on serving and empowering women who are experiencing homelessness. It's a really great uh, organization. And I think that's it. Did I forget anything, guys? Oh, I think we did it all. Guys, it's been a ride. This was a fun one. I will we'll talk to we'll see you all next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you Bye. for having me, guys. Really great job. This has been Unlocking the Cage. Tune in Sunday nights at five at Managers Comedy on Twitch. Theme song by William Janetta. Thanks again for listening.